podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to the second edition of the Premier League Preview Pod on Anfield Index for the new season. As the Reds made light work of a new-look West Ham side at Anfield last Sunday, Klopp's boys must now head to Selhurst Park to tackle a resurgent Crystal Palace this Monday evening. On the pod to help me discuss the game, I'm delighted to be joined by AI contributor Mark Roberts, and from the Palace podcast and fanzine Five Year Plan, we welcome Jesse Boyce. Good to speak with you. How you doing? Man. Hey, Jesse. How you doing, Harry? You okay? Hey, guys. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great to speak with you both. I mean, obviously... Uh, new season, plenty of excitement around it, of course. Uh, both of us uh, kicked off with with wins, of course, which obviously does nothing to sort of dampen any enthusiasm for the new season, of course. But um, uh, plenty of uh, interesting sort of tidbits going on this week, uh, both on, on, on the red side of things and on uh, the Palace side of things. So I, I did want to start off with Palace, uh, Jesse, and, and, and bring you in first. Um, just what I'm asking all uh, fans who come onto the pod this season really is just, um, what were your final thoughts uh, towards the end of last season then? And um, the club were completely right to sort of you know, stick with Roy, given the improvements you saw following his appointment? Well, yeah, can you imagine what it was like being a Palace fan for the first two months of last season, going yeah. seven games without without a goal? I mean, it was it was not looking good. But then, strangely, there was a feeling if anyone could get out of it, it would be us because we just, we've had the sort of luck with us since we've returned to the Premier League six years ago, we've managed to get out of every mess we've been in and there's been a few. So I think we've just been crying out for stability and we've seemed to have got that with, with Roy. Uh, as you probably know, he's, he's from the area and um, it's felt like it's, it feels like it's going to be his last job and he had a little bit of pride to restore after his turmoil with England and the Iceland match. So I feel like um, we've, we've met each other at the right time. And um, long may it continue the way things are going. No, sure, it does seem like he has uh, uh, been incredibly focused on this job, especially considering what you mentioned there and how things ended with England, um, looking to repair that reputation a, a little bit. Just to go a long way back then, I, I, I don't want to make you think about it uh, too much now because, of course, there <laughs> weren't great times. But, you know, when you appointed Frank de Boer, um, you know, he's obviously a manager who came with a good reputation uh, based on the work he did in uh, at Ajax, of course, and different league, different challenges. But um, where do you see um, that? Ha- I mean, why did that go so so badly wrong, in your opinion? Was it him trying to do things too quickly, or was it was it him not having the players to to try and implement the style he he did do? Well, the understanding, I think, was was always that he he was prepared to work with what he had he managed we let him we let him sign one of his starlets from Ajax Reader Wild who's still in our books um, but then I think uh, even the chairman's admitted that when he saw the lineup for the first game against Huddersfield which we lost 3-0 um, I think there was a little bit of shock horror that he'd actually just played into their hands and just sort of looked really naive putting Fosu Mensa from United 19 at the time or thereabouts, and Reader Wild at the same age, putting those two at the back of a three-man defence with Scott Dan, who's got completely cut open. And um, it just felt like he didn't really, wasn't really willing to ease into uh, the Premier League. 
just let's not forget he's never even played there. I think the closest he got was for Rangers. So it was all a little bit slapdash in the way that it that it came about. Um, but it was he only lasted four games. So I went to the Burnley away game this last game, which we had twenty one shots and nothing just nothing was hitting the net. So I just it felt like, it felt doomed from every possible angle by the time he'd left. Uh, but I think it was also a personality clash. I don't think he got on very well with the chairman. And um, I just feel like sometimes we're a bit guilty of getting a bit starstruck in terms of what we've done management-wise. You know, Pardew was a, a legend for us in the in the 80s, and we, we appointed him off the back of that, pretty much. Um, and then did the same with Debur. So I think we've sort of finally learned our lesson in, in getting Roy. So he's very pragmatic in his appointment. So you know, let's, let's just say no one misses the, the De Boer experiment and um, let's just hope we don't have, have to go down that road anytime soon again. Yeah, I think obviously with Pardew as well, I mean, um, despite all the fondness that you guys clearly had for him, I, I remember it was, it was almost two seasons in a row where he seemed to, to have these really long barren stretches where um, you guys were struggling to pick up points or even pick up wins in in, in the league and it, at least with Roy Hodgson, I think you know that there's there's going to be there's going to be a consistency there. Obviously, as 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 Liverpool fans, I'm I'm, I'm not going to sort of lie about it. There, there, there's not much love lost between Liverpool fans and Roy Hodgson. I think that's pretty clear. Um, it's it's still very evident. Let's say that much. But um, in, do you think do you think because of if you think about it, um, the Liverpool job and the England job have been the only two occasions where he seemed to sort of float with disaster or real turmoil. Um, whereas if you talk to West Brom fans and Fulham fans were coming up to us on Saturday saying how lucky we were and that predicting that Roy would get us into Europe this year. So do you just think those two jobs for him were just a bit too big? He couldn't cope with the pressure or what's the attitude? Yeah, I mean, personally, I think that's what it was. I think the jobs were too big for him. And I, I, I don't want to sort of say that with some sort of uh, arrogance behind it. But personally, I, I, I do believe that's what it was. I mean, uh, a large part of being the Liverpool manager is is the rhetoric that you come out with, even if that sometimes I mean you don't, you don't want to maybe descend into some of the um, cliches that Rogers found himself sort of falling into towards the end. But you also simultaneously don't want to uh, uh, say that a point at uh, you know, or losing to Northampton isn't something that we should be ashamed of. Or that a, a loss against Everton was our best performance of the season. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's never really the greatest idea. So, I mean, I think yeah, I think that perhaps where he was a little bit too um, conservative in his approach when he when he came to Liverpool, England. I mean, I I, I just think it's you know, it needed a young manager for a very long time. It's, it's a completely different project, isn't it? But um, it, yeah. In terms of your own project, then, in terms of when he came into Palace, um, what were the really noticeable changes? I mean. Aside from points, obviously, in terms of the consistency he managed to bring to the team, what were the really noticeable changes that he he employed to help turn turn things around for you? Well, I think he warned when he came in it might get worse before it got better, and he was right. Yeah, classic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So he came in. We were four games gone when um, after after Frank left, and it carried on for another three games before we played Chelsea, and. Um, Zaha obviously got injured in the first game against Huddersfield, and that, that was something you got to give to Bo. He didn't have Zaha for the first for the next three games. So um, by the time Wilf did come back, he also put Spironi in goal. Something Spironi's a fan's favourite. I don't know if you know much about him, but he's an absolute legend at, at Selhurst Park, and he's been there for twelve years or so now. 
And um, it was always amazed me how coaches like Pardew and Allardyce, who had a rough time with us as well at the beginning, didn't see that by putting Spironi in goal, he, he can't do, he can do no wrong to Spironi. The fans will forgive him a mistake or two. And uh, he's just so grateful to, to, to be at the club and to get on the pitch. Roy seemed to see that and just put Spironi straight in goal in that to try and get some points on the board as well as for, for Zaha's return game. And we beat Chelsea 2-1. Zaha just, uh, Sacco put uh, Zaha through to, to slide it past Courtois and finally we got we got the season underway. But that was an interesting game because um, it kind of, you know, Louise didn't play much for Conte last year. It was after that game because Roy had put Townsend and Zaha as kind of fake strikers and put four midfielders across midfield. So we had central midfielders in MacArthur and probably Loftus-Cheek or Schlupp all filling the midfield. And Townsend and Zaha playing, just came, were played as strikers or at least one of them was, was up front and the other one would fill in when we lost possession. And it totally threw Chelsea and Luis was, just didn't know if he was coming or going. And uh, yeah, we beat them 2-1 and the season was off. So that was our first indication that, that Roy had something about him. And it was straight after the international break as well. So Roy had two weeks to put that plan in place. And that's where we started to look up and uh, think, yeah, this guy knows what he's doing. And uh, the season carried on a bit like that. He was just really wily in the way that he picked the team. You see, he chose a different team for different opposition. Um, and then I saw there was a really good, just to finish answering your question, um, Gary Neville did a really good Monday night football, which went around all the Palace fans, where he really used his close experience with Roy for England to kind of look at the way we were playing towards the end of the season. We beat Leicester 5-0, our biggest ever Premiership win, Premier League win. And he said, "This just I, I watched that performance and I, all I can see is Roy's England training. And it was all about Loftus-Cheek picking up the ball with his back to goal on the edge of the box and then either putting it into Van Anholt at left back on the overlap or putting it inside for Zaha. Both the first two goals of that Leicester match came for exactly that position. So by the end of the season, we were absolutely steaming uh, and rolling over teams. And I think that another key thing that, that Neville said was, if that was Pardew, look at Pardew and the way he went in at West Brom. He was changing the team every week without, but with a little bit of more of a kind of stab-in-the-dark approach. He didn't quite know what he was doing. Um, and, it, and Neville said if, if Roy was a younger coach like Pardew, he probably would have panicked, but he didn't panic. He just did what he thought was right with the team. And uh, it's all paying off now. No, for sure. I think there's one thing that has always been said about Hodgson is the way in which he's uh, he's very confident in the methods that he does employ, uh, and uh, you know what you're going to get with him. I think. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that Neville could sort of identify those those drills that he was, was probably very used to uh, from that England training, and of course they have been beneficial to you guys. I mean, you mentioned Loftus Cheek there as well. He's another one who uh, I've heard Roy since then giving plenty of praise to as a player. Um, you must be a little bit disappointed that he's not there this season. Obviously, we'll come on to talk about um, the the summer business. Um, but a, as you mentioned, I think once he came in and got things going, I mean, ended the season with three consecutive wins, and you, you, you mentioned that biggest ever win as well in the Premier League for you guys. Um, then, so coming into the season, then of course, and uh, plenty of buzz, plenty of noise around Fulham's return to the Premier League, um, and you guys went over there and uh, spoiled the party, of course. Um, <laughs> What did you make of that match and uh, what were sort of the key uh, points you took away from it? 
Well, it's slightly cathartic because when we saw the fixtures come out and we saw that we had to play yet another newly promoted team after losing 3-0 to Huddersfield last year, it was it was sort of bittersweet. Great, we've got a London derby away, great, great away day, great opener to the season, but it's another newly promoted team that are going to be buzzing that have spent an absolute mountain of cash. So we went into it slightly apprehensively and that kind of manifested in the first 15, 20 minutes. Hennessy put on one of the best matches, that, uh, best performances I've ever seen him play by pulling off a string of saves. And then we, we got into got into the groove, really. We just um, scored at the right time. We had to get the first goal, took the sting out of their, um, their, their flurry of attacks, shut up, scored uh, before half time. And then we got the second one uh, 10 minutes before the end, just on the counter. So it, it just felt like I think if you're a Fulham fan, they, they probably felt like they'd just kind of welcome to the Premier League, kind of cliche. But I think that it was, I think we approached the game the right way. Had a lot of friends of mine asking which Palace players to pick in their fantasy team. Uh, mostly concerned with Wan Bissaka at right back, our 20 year old. He's only played his first, his eighth Premier League game on, on uh, Saturday. And he yeah. totally had Sessignon in his pocket and, and also got the assist and a clean sheet. And he's, he's, he really is primed for it. A great season, and he seems to have hit the spotlight uh, already this season on match of the day. And I think Joel Ward, our right back, is really going to play second fiddle to, uh, to him this season. So, all in all, we, we were just totally delighted because we don't often get a great start to the season. We've, we've won every single game in pre-season. We've not dropped um, any of them. We've not not drew any of them. We've won every single game, about five games. Uh, including against Toulouse, the last game. So we're really pleased to bring that into into the season and um, takes the pressure off our game with Liverpool on Monday a little bit because if, if we lost that, as as we probably been, will be predicted, we'd be two games without a win. So we're just pleased to get off the, off the mark, and anything we get on Monday would be considered a bonus for sure. Yeah, I was going to talk about Wan-Bissaka. He seems to, he does seem to be one who's already sort of caught the headlines, as you mentioned, their match of the uh, match of the day, trying to single him out as well. Um, but before we get on to him uh, and perhaps some of the players, you know, mentioned Loftus Cheek, who's obviously not there this this season. Um, in the summer, then you guys did pretty modest business in terms of the actual numbers of players who came in, um, in comparison to the numbers who actually went out. Of course, um, you know, Chequiate came in. I think it was it for about, around about ten million, nine million ish. Uh, you, you signed a goalkeeper, Vincente Gaeta. Um Max Meyer, of course, is the one who's taken quite a lot of the headlines. Uh, sort of the very promising German footballer from Schalke, who's you know, uh, attracted quite a lot of attention over the over the years as he's developed. So I think, I think that's that's one that people are definitely going to be keeping their eye on. Uh, Jordan Ayew on loan, of course. Um, so what do you make of that business then? I mean, do you, do you think it's enough? Do you think there's been enough ambition shown? Has Roy said anything along the lines of not getting the players in that he would have hoped to? Um, or is it really, I guess what we're going to come on to talk about, the retention of Zaha and him signing an extension is a bigger coup than any any signing could have been. A good question. So as soon as we were safe at the end of last season, Roy wasted no time in kind of putting a little pressure on the hierarchy above to say, well, look, we really need to... We, a few players were out of contract. We knew they were going to lose Kabai to some extent. There was some hope he might stay, but um, also slight relief because it freed up a lot of budget. So there was a challenge to replace him and the RLC, which obviously lost his cheek um, in the middle. So there's a big gaping hole in the middle. Um, 
and then we lost um, Chung Yong Lee, a South Korean player who didn't make the World Cup squad, hardly played at all last year after a howler against Burnley, De Burr's last game. So we, we lost a few players. If you look at everyone we've brought in, they've been like-for-like replacements. So Maya is definitely Kabai's um, replacement. He's got his shirt as well, number seven. He's clearly not match fit, having not played for months. So he's, they're going to ease him in slowly. So MacArthur's dropped into that deep role a little bit with Milivojevic. Then replacing Loftus-Cheek, you kind of kind of closest as we can get to that is Kiate. Uh, replacing Chung Lee is Jordan Ayu. Who is an improvement, I would say. So, when Zaha was out last year, injured for, for a few games, as, as I said earlier, they were too afraid to put Chong Lee in his place. He wasn't really up to scratch, uh, which was a problem. So, we've now got a, a winger who at least can come off if, if Townsend or Zaha fade at all. Um, up front, Benteke's got a lot to do to redeem his reputation. He scored 17 odd goals in his first season for us, and then only two last year. So he's got a lot to do for us. Um, and Connor Wickham is, is back tentatively. So up front, it's not really been strengthened. We just need more from what we've got. And then at the back, uh, Geiter, who you mentioned, who we kind of knew we were signing in January, but we had to wait until his contract ended with uh, Hitafe, I think it was. Um, we had one of your ex-keepers, I forget his name now, um, Argentine keeper came in. Uh, or Brazilian, I can't remember, I forget his name. He just came in for, for a few months just to fill that third berth, which we hadn't filled after Mandanda left and won the World Cup. <laughs> so um, we've just been patching up the squad, really, a little bit. And it's there's no improvements. It's more like-for-like replacements, if you can call it that. And then, as you as you probably heard today, we've, Saha's re-signed and Hodgson's signed another two-year contract. So that's been a welcome boost just after the season started. So, yeah, we just make make do and mending, really. Uh, nothing too exciting and not a lot of money spent. Yeah, I mean, what do you make of that Zaha signing then, of course? I mean, is, is the club's is it joint record goal scorer now after he scored it all, scored at the, um, at the weekend? Um, you know, plenty of rumours about where he could potentially um, go. Obviously, had had that big move earlier on in his career that didn't work out for him the way he would have hoped. He's come back. He's, um, you know got lots of the same strengths in which we've always associated with him, but I think people are always wondering whether he can have that consistency to, to push it to an even higher level. I mean, how highly do you think, how, how high do you think the ceiling is for him? Um, uh, and uh, so, so what, what sort of impact do you think he can have for Palace this season? Well, he's just absolutely brilliant. I mean, I, I think you kind of got to just watch him firsthand to, to make your own judgment. I wouldn't believe anything that's written about him because it's, tinged with all, all sorts of nastiness and uh, um, just sort of made up lies. There was talk, he didn't ask to leave. He didn't reject the contract. I don't think there were any firm bids. Like, there was, there's nothing really to go on except that we were just holding on, making, hopeful that no one did come in with silly money, which didn't happen. Um, I mean, he's 25 and he's been playing for us for nine years. So there's so much water under the bridge, so much history already for such someone who's still got his peak years ahead of him um i just think that he he he's capable of so much i mean if, if you look at the impact he has uh for our team he takes he's just a huge outlet takes the pressure off the back and we we don't want to be playing with the ball in our half too much we need to get the ball to him as fast as we can and when we do that it creates space for others and he slowly uh realized that 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 creates opportunities so 
the two things that were missing for him were always his final ball, which did get a lot of fair criticism in his early career, uh, and then his finishing, which really has come on in the last six months to a year since Roy's been there. So he's getting into those scoring positions now, scored four in pre-season, which was really did uh, kind of surprise because he's not, he's not known for being a goal scorer, but he's, he's starting to become a little bit more ruthless and had one real chance on Saturday and took it. So um, it's exciting to see that, that he's staying or at least uh, who knows what the future brings. You never really know in football, but we've got a lot, there's a, we've got a few people to thank for him still being here. First of all, the Ivory Coast, because I think if, if he hadn't pledged his allegiance to them, he would have gone a couple of years ago. If he was still an England player in contention, um, he would he would have had to have left to to really be taken seriously as an England player. So that's taken the heat off. He's always going to walk into the Ivory Coast team for a good few years. So the only thing really that he's got to leave for is Champions League, and I'd fully expect him that to be the reason to leave us when he does go. Uh, but then again, he's going to find it difficult leaving to to go somewhere where he's not guaranteed a first uh, first team place. He's used to that now. He's used to being the first guy on the sheet and the outlet everyone looks for. So I think he's, uh, the selfish part of him is enjoying that and will probably uh, enjoy that for as long as he, as he feasibly can. But when the right person comes knocking with the right bid, uh, I don't think we'll step in his way. I think he probably would go to a, for Champions League football. No, it's interesting. Yeah, I think you you mentioned there the the only reasons why he would perhaps consider leaving, and and the, and the situation with the national team is obviously far. Um, it, it's made things easier for him to stay, and uh, clearly loves it at the club as well. Um, you mentioned then Zaha improving in terms of uh, his his end product, both in sort of creating chances and also scoring as well. How much of then your sort of tactical setup then now revolves around? You know, getting him as much of, of the ball as possible. I mean, I mean, you mentioned Benteke there and how he's got lots of work to do to repair his reputation this season after having a really tough one last season. Um, I, I remember the, that situation with the penalty and just oh, just things going absolutely horribly wrong for him. Um, did did seem like even the fans at one stage had turned a little bit. Um, so it'd be good to hear what you think about that. But in terms of how you expect Roy to to line up this season, then is it just a you are a firm sort of counter-attacking sort of side now, and, and, and Zahar is uh, the player who we, you, you try and get the ball to as often as possible, perhaps with through Maya this season. Um, or, I mean, how greatly does Benteke now feature um, in terms of how you build your side? Um, well, I think Roy does vary it a little. So, I think when we were struggling, which was for the most part last season, when it was a real, every game was a struggle and we were, we were trying to, um, trying to get points on the board. It was a bit frustrating because Roy seemed to insist on playing Zaha quite centrally. Um, even starting him ahead of Benteke. Benteke not scoring was on the bench and Zaha was starting up front. Um, whereas we know Wilf can do most of his damage and take the pressure off everyone behind him if he's the outlet on, on one of the wings. And what tended to happen for a few games, such as we drew, I remember we, our, our second uh, game where we got a point was against West Ham at home. It was really frustrating. Zaha was playing up front the whole game. And it wasn't until the last five, ten minutes he put him out on the wing that he actually cut inside and scored the equaliser. And then that happened again against Watford at home, I remember. It wasn't until Wilf was put out to the wing that he set up 
the winner for MacArthur. So there's that frustration will probably remain in that if you put uh, if Wolf continues to put these chances away, it will be a bit of a pickle about where where he does his most damage. Uh, and so I think it will change depending on the opposition, really. No, sure. I think I think you mentioned there. Yeah, he's clearly more comfortable out on the wings of cutting in. Um, has always seemed to be the most sort of tr- tricky to deal with in those situations. I, I, I think Liverpool fans as well when it comes to Zaha, um, let alone Crystal Palace, but just Zaha, to be honest. I mean, we've we, we seen some horrific uh, encounters <laughs> over the years. I mean, Dejan, I think, I think he's probably going to be out for this game, uh, as well as a few, a few more to come. So, I mean, uh, despite the fact that he seems to have really put a consistent spell together towards the end of last season. I'm, I'm, I'm always glad when he doesn't have to face uh, Zahar because I think he's just he's capable of embarrassing anybody to be fair but I think I mean, obviously Lovren didn't have the best record there so yeah I'm, I'm pretty happy to avoid that one then. All right, then so... I, think, I, think, I think what you'll see on Monday is we're kind of playing with these, this kind of three-pronged attack now um, with Townsend and Zahar Largely Townsend on the right, Zaha on the left, Benteke in the middle, obviously. But there's a lot of interchanging going on. So when um, those two will swap wings, and also uh, sometimes it will look like a 4-4-2, just depending on where Townsend is, because he's the one who usually drops drops back when we've lost possession. And then obviously when we're on the counter, it depends where Wilf is uh, in terms to pick it up and, and drive at, at the defence. So it sometimes will be hard to kind of... Um, Kind of track exactly how we've set up. Just depends on on where on where we are on the pitch at each point. But there's a lot of interchanging going on. No, for sure. I mean, that all leads me nicely onto sort of the question around. I mean, how you think uh, or how you envisage Roy setting up Palace uh, for this game on Monday? Then, I mean, do, would that be a case of sort of sitting and looking to headers on the counter with that pace that you have, obviously in the wide areas, um, and also, I, I mean, I guess. Uh, what about us in the way we play, which is obviously now very, um, very well known, um, might change the way in which Roy approaches it tactically? Um, I imagine you'll play the same team that started at Fulham. Um, I think what's been encouraging is seeing Van Anholt really get his, get his game together. So he kind of really uh, lacked concentration when he first came and he didn't deal with, he didn't work well in a struggling team but once we found our momentum he really came into his own added a few goals to the to the equation and he was absolutely comfortable on Saturday um, controlling the ball from a great height in the box and just twisting around Sessegnon as an amazing gift that's been going around which, which was quite breathtaking at the time so he is so up for it Van Anholt and on social media as well he's acting like he's from South London and really but really meaning it so we're delighted with him right now. And that, that bodes well with the strengths and the, the threats that you've got. It's really great to see that both he and Wan-Bissaka are really on top of their game right now. Because let's face it, when Palace play Liverpool, we need to be on our game and we need you not to be on yours, realistically, for us to take something from the game. And we've seen that uh, at Sellers Park and even at Anfield. Um, that's, that's what it takes for Palace to take points off of the big boys. We played Man City at Selhurst last year with the first team they didn't score against all season. Uh, and we just, we seem to, to raise our game against quality opposition and struggle against the teams we should beat. That's an ongoing theme. So let's, you know, we're obviously hoping for a bit of that on Monday. Uh, it just depends, um, if Liverpool are on their game or not to, to what happens. 
And then beyond that, then I guess, what are your expectations for this season, having had those struggles last season and uh, you know, hoping to be entering sort of a period of consistency here? The new contracts for Zaha um, and Roy really help with that feeling as well. Um, are, you, are you hoping, I mean, what you alluded to earlier on, that Roy can perhaps help you finish uh, in a European place? Or is it just a case of top 10 would be, would, would be a, uh, a solid finish? I, I'm trying to remember, actually, I think in the second half of last season, once you did seem to get on a good run, um, your points total was actually was actually good enough that had you got at the first half, the first half of the season, you would have finished fairly high anyway. So, I mean, I mean, what are the expectations for for Palace fans? Well, we're not going to get carried away. We'll, we'll happily take uh, mid-table mediocrity. <laughs> I think it would just be a welcome change because we've we've had a few close shaves the last few seasons. It's really been quite tense. There was a point where we just couldn't even win a game at home. We were just scrambling around for draws and all cheeky away wins. So anything that resembles some consistency, which it looks like Roy can give us, we'll happily take. Um, I just, I just think you're not going to find a level-headed Palace fan getting carried away. Anything that comes above halfway will be truly be a great season for us. Um, you know, it's imp- we're, we haven't got rich owners. We haven't got a benefactor that that's throwing money at, at the place we're owned by you know a local chairman and we've, we've got a local manager and you know we're, we're not getting any ideas about our station but we need to stay up in order to redevelop our stadium it would be a real tragedy if when if and let's face it at some point in the next 10 years it, it's likely that we will go down if we do go down as most clubs do that's what with swansea lasted what 11 years before they've slipped I think if we do go down without redeveloping our stadium, it'll be it'll be a huge shame. So we're just trying to develop as a club and uh, develop our stadium and infrastructure whilst keeping the team afloat. Um, as long as those we work towards that, then we'll be happy. No, of course. I mean, that all sounds those all sound like sensible goals, and I, 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 <laughs> I think you're right to mention this, the stadium redevelopment as well. That's obviously crucially crucially important. It seems to become it. Even more crucially important for clubs, um, sort of every year. I mean, Spurs, of course, have that, ha- having their own issues with that. Of course, this week as they announced. But um, uh, I don't yeah. know if you, I don't know if you have heard or seen about our new our new stadium plans. It's mainly the main stand that we're looking to redevelop, and they're very much based the plan on what Liverpool did with their main stand. Oh right, um, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah bit building behind the old stand and uh, attaching them. We're we're very much going down that road. I went up to Anfield a few times uh, the year that that was being built for for work and saw it uh, being uh, slowly uh, coming to fruition. So I think there's a lot of inspiration taken from that in what we're planning to do with Sarah's Park. And I think everyone in the country knows it's a bit overdue. (laughs) It's it's really starting to uh, show its age now. No, for sure. I mean, I think that main stand refurbishment has been a real, real success. I think it took a while. for fans perhaps to, to buy into sort of this, this gradual redevelopment of the stadium. But I think now that we can see how that's worked, I think it's definitely the best way to go about it. I mean, just before we do actually uh, go for a small break, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring Mark back in to talk about um, uh, all things Liverpool. I mean, the last question I did, I did want to ask you, um, uh, just before we sort of move on to the Liverpool part of the podcast, was um, what your thoughts were then um, as a sort of a, as a Palace fan on the outside looking in, I guess, um, at uh, sort of Liverpool's sort of business in the summer, and um, I, mean, I mean, generally, what you think uh, our chances are for for the season, just just out of interest. 
well, you've got to be excited if you're a Liverpool fan, haven't you? Look at where you look at the team that the clock's building. It's, it's so frightening what, what's, what's possible when you're when you're on the attack. Um, obviously, we remember. I remember the Suarez um, and Sterling combination and how how threatening that was. It just seems whenever Liverpool picked up the ball, it, there was five to ten seconds away from scoring uh, an absolutely brutal, unforgiving goal to an to an unsuspecting opposition, you know, there's, that's that's why I associate with the last time Liverpool would look this frightening. So I think even better than that now. Obviously, Salah is just an absolute weapon. And um, Firmino, who's, he wasn't playing as far forward as he is now when he first came in. So it's interesting to see how he's uh, evolved. And then you've, you've managed to progress without missing Coutinho, which is quite impressive because he was obviously the star player that went at the time at which he left. So um, I think you just got to be excited as a Liverpool fan. And one thing that everyone knew or could see with Liverpool is the same criticism levelled at Arsenal about just not strengthening at the back. And you've done that where Arsenal still haven't really. So um, Van Dijk, the perseverance that you put into getting him uh, and now putting a good keeper behind him. And Robertson, who's really surprised everybody in the way that he's come on. Uh, I think you just you're really set up to do some stuff now, and um, it's just it's just about the consistency, isn't it? You just got really got to to make it work, um, and just just not panic if, if there is a little wobble because um, there, there might be one at some point. You just got to kind of stick to it and uh, do what you're capable of. It'd be great to see uh, more success in Europe for 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 English teams. So yeah, you know, everyone likes watching. Liverpool play, I think Arsenal have faded, so Liverpool have got to be the kind of neutrals um, go-to <laughs> team, team for a, for an impressive performance and uh, complete power. So, you know, it's, it'll be a tough game on Monday. We we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't chance our arm on, on anything going our way without, as I say, us being on our game and you not being on yours. No, sure. I mean, I think it's yeah. I think consistency is definitely the word there as well. And I think yeah, not panicking is something that takes. Takes a while for Liverpool fans to sort of get used to, especially in terms of being confident at the back. But yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting for sure. I mean, thanks so much. I was actually, I was, I was actually just before I go, I was working on on a partnership with Liverpool just by coincidence. Mm. The year that the year that Klopp came in, so that season I went. It was a great season to be working uh, on that partnership because it was the year that Klopp came in. The feel good factor was there. It was good to observe that a little bit at close quarters. Went to Melwood a couple of times. I was at the I was at the Borussia Dortmund game that you won four uh, three. Ah. I went to the Europa League. I went to the Europa League final in Basel. That's how I met Arinda, your, your good friend. So, of course. Uh, so I've got a little bit of a sample at close quarters. The sort of development you've been on over the last couple of years. So it's and having been back to that new stand, which is so impressive. Um, yeah, good luck to Liverpool. You're set up for a good little uh, few years, I think. No, for sure. I mean, things do bode well so far. And um, I mean, I think what you mentioned there uh, in, in terms of us taking over as the neutrals team, I'm sort of very happy at how how annoyed that's making a number of other <laughs> sort of rival fans. They're really, really not happy. But weirdly, City seem to be really, really unhappy about just here. It's going to be a, it's, it's going to be an interesting season for sure. And um, just before you do go off, Jesse, I mean, I mean, could we get a prediction from you then as to what you think the scoreline is going to be? Um, this weekend. I mean, oh, sorry, this Monday rather. I, I'm not. 
I'm not good at predictions just because it depends what happens on the night. It really does. But I think because it's a night game, I think we've got a better chance in some ways. We, we seem to raise the roof a little bit and we need that against the bigger sides. It's our first home game. Um, I mean, I would take a draw quite happily right now just to keep momentum going and uh, not, not, I wouldn't go all out for the win if I was Roy. I would just be a little bit cautious. So I'll go for the draw just because I think it would be bad luck for me to wish anything against us. <laughs> um, maybe maybe 1-1. One, 1-1, one. One, one. okay, yeah, I like it. I mean, I'm sure Roy's probably got his eyes set on that already. But anyway, thanks so one, much. 1-1 one, 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 one with a Benteke goal would, would be uh, considered a great night for Palace. So, um, that, Benteke goal, we can do. yeah, God, let's do yeah. Let's hope not. Let's really hope not. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the stats would say perhaps not, but I mean, yeah, let's, let's see, I guess. Anyway, thanks so much for helping us sort of preview that sort of Palace side of the things and, and sort of us uh, getting an insight as to how things are going to be going for you this season with, with Roy at the helm, having signed on for an, an additional two years, Zaha still, still at the club and uh, signing a long deal as well. I think things are definitely more positive there than they were at the start of last season, for sure. I mean, especially where it went in terms of six or seven games in. So, yeah, thanks so much for all that, Jesse. No worries. My pleasure and uh, best of luck for the season. Thanks so much. Uh, after this short break, guys, we're going to be speaking to uh, to Mark Roberts um, about Liverpool, how they kicked off the season and uh, I guess what what we should expect from this uh, uh, this bunch of res this season. So, yeah, join us right after this uh, this short break. Hi, Jan. How are you? Um, is everything okay? Yeah, absolutely, Gags. Everything is fine. But you know what? I'm hearing you've got a special offer for Anfield Index Pro. Is that so? Yes, absolutely, And We've got your weekly show, Moby on the Spot, the popular stat show, Under Pressure. Post-match Raw is now back and loads of other shows available at our lowest price ever. Go on then, Gags. How cheap is that? Get this, mate. Get this. It's absolutely free for seven days and then only $39.99 for a whole year. New users can now sign up and access everything at AmphilIndexPro.com. I have to say, Gax, that is incredible news. i got to go. Where are you going? Well, to be fair, I need to go and tell Rushy about this offer. <laughs> Thanks. Whilst you're there, please let Rushy know that we accept all major credits and debit cards via the website. And not only that, we've now added PayPal too. And if you want an app option, then via iOS, you can purchase AI Pro through an in-app purchase. Jan? Jan? So back now, guys, and uh, talking Liverpool. Uh, I mean, and after all that suspense, after all this summer of waiting, I mean, yeah, we had the World Cup, of course, that's fine. But uh, uh, we were all waiting for that season to go underway, especially with the new signings. Excitement was building. Uh, and, of course, the season finally got underway um, against a new-look West Ham side. It was a new-look Liverpool side, let's face it, at Anfield uh, last Sunday. Uh, Mark, what were your impressions of that performance then? I mean, a 4-0 win to open things up for Liverpool uh, could not have gone better, I think. Um, what was your general sort of view on the performance? You can't really ask for more, can you? 4-0 opening day win. To me, it, it didn't look like an opening day game. That's the, sort of the best way I can describe it. It looked like we'd been back 10 games into the season. It looked comfortable, fluid. We didn't have to do an awful lot. We took it easy. A lot of people have said it was sort of we were in second gear. 
And then we just turned it on where we had to do, got the goals. It was a very comfortable performance. And said so they looked like they'd been playing together for a lot longer than an opening game of the season. It was a great start to the season. No, for sure. I, I think, think, yeah, I think that the team sort of helped with that. If you look, there was only Cater and Allison of the new signings that started. And Cater had been there since July. So he'd had plenty of pre-season time with Milner, with Ginny, so the midfield had the fluidity, the front three, much as they were all back to pre-season at different times and had had a different number of games. I know Firmino was later back and hadn't played, but they played so often together last season, they almost didn't need that pre-season time together. The same with the defence, that Trent, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Van Dijk, Robertson, they were mainstays of the defence last year as well. So I think it was a very smart, sensible team selection from Klopp for an opening day with minimum disruption or change to how we'd finished last season. And as I say, Cater, one of those, had been in all pre-season anyway. He didn't have a World Cup. So you could see that they'd been together a while and played together a while, whereas other teams who made five or six new changes looked a bit rusty and a bit off the pace. No, I think it's actually probably at the way you describe things, actually, in terms of it, it not feeling like a, pre, um, a sort of opening game of the season I think the way in which the, some of the players played even some of the newer ones the fluidity was already there you could already see what the plan is if that makes sense um, a bunch of those new signings really shone as well I think Kate has got plenty of plaudits already um, for what from what I'm hearing is, is, is basically a 6 out of 10 performance from him which is of course is, is incredibly encouraging um, for you, I think his link up on the left for Mane was Superb, but again, oh, yeah. they have played together previously, haven't they, at Salzburg? But what a start for his first game of the season. He, he looked like he'd been there for months. No, for sure. I mean, I was, I was just going to ask you there, I mean, who, who were the standout players for you in that game? Keita, Mane, and uh, Milner seem to be the ones who people have, have really highlighted. But was there, were there any others for you? I think, I think Ginny had a good game as well. I think the thing that impressed me with Ginny was he, he seemed to move around the midfield a lot. And I think that'll be a key point for our midfield for the season going ahead that much as it was the 4-3-3 the clock favours they all seem to move and change positions and Naby even finished the game on the left wing so that must be a nightmare for opposition that you've got Ginny sitting and then all of a sudden Milner's dropped to sit and Ginny's bombing on forward and Naby's just popping up here there and everywhere there was just so much fluidity between the three of them and that, that's what you want to see going forward. No predictability the way we're going to play it. It's just interchanging movement. And for an opening game of the season to have that bodes well for the season going forward, I think. No, absolutely. I think, yeah, you're right to mention Ginny there. And we'll, and we'll come on to talk about him a little bit more in a, in a bit. Um, one thing, of course, that people were sort of highlighting from that game as well is that when, uh, you know, or with Shakiri and Sturridge, you know, uh, a, Fully fit Sturridge as well, touch wood, of course, um, to come off the bench. Um, you know, Sturridge had, of course, an instant impact there with his goal after, was it 23, 24 seconds? So crazy. But um, you know, Klopp seems to be finally in a position where not many Liverpool managers have actually found themselves in, in this position in recent years of, of being able to change the first 11, say on 60 or whatever, um, especially the um, sort of the key attacking players, and then find yourself that you actually haven't reduced the quality that much um, uh, from sort of previous seasons where, where we've seen you know, star players come off. So, of course, we saw in the Champions League final as well. I mean, I'm not saying that we're going to have somebody who can immediately replace the, 
um, Mo Salah if he has to go off um, in terms of you know, that level of quality. But the overall quality with Shakiri and Sturridge to come off the bench, it doesn't drop that far. I mean, I felt, felt like with Solanke last season at times, uh, it was tough in that respect. I mean, how big a role do you imagine those players that Shakiri and Sturridge are going to have uh, this season? I think the, the key thing, as you mentioned there, is Touchwood Sturridge stays fit. If he stays fit, I'm struggling to think of a better 12th player in the Premier League than Daniel Sturridge. People can argue Man City and Gabby Jesus or Aguero, whoever's on the bench, out of those two. But Daniel Sturridge, if he's fit and firing, I'm struggling to think of a better option off the bench to bring on than him. If we can keep him fit and get him anywhere close to the player we had 13-14, that's going to be an unbelievable weapon for us to have. And you made a good point there with, with Solanke. There was so many games last year where even 2-0 up, Klopp was reluctant to take any of the front three off. I think it was telling that all three of them were subbed off on Sunday. And having players of a quality of Sturridge and Shaqiri could be the big difference maker this season. And it's in situations like that where you want to use it as well. As much as you, it's good to have the option if it's nil-nil or 1-1 after 70 minutes to bring somebody on. To be able to bring people on and not have a quality drop-off when you're 2-3-nil up. And then give the front three legs rest so they're having less minutes in their legs come March, April time, the end of the season when we're going to need them fit and firing. That's what we lacked last season. There was points last season where we could only change the defence. We had no midfielders on the bench, no strikers on the bench The clock trusted. So the front six, if you like, were the front six from start to end of the game, game after game. So to have those two fit and on the bench, that could make a big difference. Or even one of them to start the game wouldn't be. It's not the drop-off that it was last year with no disrespect to them, Solanke and Ings. And that's what you need to have to have a, to challenge City to win the league, which we all want to do this year and people are talking us up to be able to do. To do that, we do need those two fit and firing all season. No, of course. I mean, depth's uh, absolutely crucial in terms of being able to challenge for titles. I mean, we all talked about just City's depth and how how sort of crazily good that looked in the opening game of the season. I mean, they, they beat Arsenal at the Emirates almost had a canter, it seemed, and they clearly went up to full fitness, so up to full fluidity, and they had, their bench was ridiculous as well. But, I mean, we, we are seeing the, you know, the reasons for you know, sides like that investing uh, you know, in such quality. I mean, we just had news today, of course, that Kevin De Bruyne has picked up quite a bad injury, um, probably expected to be out for about two months, maybe three months max, actually. So you think about the impact he had for them last season, I mean, and him being uh, missing for that number of months, um, I mean, look at their bench. I mean, they've got Bernardo Silva to come in. They've got David Silva. It's, they're, not, they're not exactly short of quality when it comes to creative midfielders, but still, it does show you sort of the, the reasons why teams invest so heavily in uh, in bringing in quality um, replacements in depth. So, it, it, one of the things I wanted to talk about, Mark, was, was the makeup of midfield. I think plenty of people have been discussing as to what this is going to look like this season. Obviously, we went with Ginny. Uh, Milner and Keita against West Ham. Um, Fabino, I think, there was chat that although he trained, he perhaps he was coming back from an illness. Um, interesting to see whether he would have started if he was fully fit. I mean, I think people are imagining that's where he's going to play, maybe coming in for uh, Milner or Ginny, really, in that sixth role. Um, would you look to change this then against 
against Palace. I mean, obviously, it's a different type of opposition. Uh, you talked about it already. I mean, Benteke, Zaha, uh, they, they can be very direct, very physical. Um, would you be tempted to bring somebody like Fabinho, you know, with his height and strength, into the team? Or, uh, I mean, would you would you keep it how it was against West Ham? It's such a hard question, isn't it? And that's why Jurgen Klopp's paid a lot more money than I am to make decisions like that. I've seen all three of our midfielders from last week, people named as man of the match, and I thought all three of them were fantastic. But for his debut, Cater was brilliant. Milner was everywhere. And Ginny, as I say, he started as a six. He moved to the eight and then almost the ten and played very well. So it would be very, very harsh to drop any of the three of them. But football is a ruthless game. And as you said, Crystal Palace is a different threat. It's a different opposition. There's different challenges. I'd be tempted to start Fabina ahead of Milner, I think. And put Fabino is sitting, I think. The way Palace attack, I think we need more of a shield in front of the back four. I think Fabino's got a bit more height on him as well to maybe help out with the long balls, pump forward towards Benteke. And then have Cater and Wijnaldum running forward and supporting the front three. But you couldn't argue if he kept the same three. The, the way the three played last week, they would all deserve that chance again. But different opposition, I, I would personally go with Fabino, who was my call. Yeah. What, what do you think, Harry? What would you do? It's going to be interesting. I mean, obviously Milner's stitches are out now. I'm sure he'll, <laughs> he'll, want, he'll want to start that game. I mean, I, I had mentioned on the post-match Raw pod from... From that West Ham game tonight, I mean, I, I never want Milner to to take the headband off. To be honest, I, I, <laughs> I, I think it enhanced his game. Um, I, I want that to remain there. I mean, obviously the Terry Butcher shouts, things like that. But I think he, yeah, would definitely be. If, if we get to see that Milner more often than not, I mean, it's going to be a real asset to our midfield. I thought it was excellent on the day. Um, I think I would be tempted to put Firmino in. I mean, it, it's. Uh, I mean, you could say it's a tough game to bring him into you know, from the cold, but I think he, I, I think he'd be more than ready for it after about maybe ten minutes of settling into that sort of game, discovering what it's all about. Um, would perhaps actually be quite a good litmus test for him to sort of figure out how you know, certain Premier League games can be. Um, one midfielder you mentioned there, of course, was was Ginny. Um, do you think that you know, with the likes of Cater and um, Fabino in midfield, who who perhaps are smarter or aware? To the defensive side of the duties in midfield, than perhaps we've we've had of other midfielders previously. I mean, it does seem that they're both very comfortable in those aspects of the game, as well as Cater being seemingly able to do everything. It seems. But um, do you think we're going to see a different Ginny then this season? Perhaps a a throwback to the to the winger that uh, he was earlier on in his career. I, I think we could. I, I think I mentioned that on Nina's pod that you looked at the Ginny of last season. Was it Man City away? Because Henderson was suspended. He had to play the six. But then the next Roma home game, when Ox went off injured, he came on and played the more advanced role. And they were two of his best performances of the season. And they were two completely different roles, different oppositions. And I think that's what you want. And I think that's when the opposition see the team sheet dropped and they see the midfield that we had last week, they won't know who's playing in what position. So how do you prepare for that? So it wouldn't surprise me if we had the same midfield again, but Milner was the number six and Ginny was pushed forward just to keep people on their toes. And it was interesting to hear Jesse say before he thought Palace would say play the same team. I think that they had a two in midfield and our three, whichever three we pay, 
play and the movement and fluidity they have, that's where the game will be won for me. But it's interesting to see Cater go onto the left wing when we made the substitutes. Could that be an option? And then later on in the game and play a completely different midfield three to see the game out you could have Fabino and Henderson sat and Milner ahead of them. It's it's just options galore, which is so exciting. And at the same time, as I said, the opposition won't know which way to turn, which way to look, because all three of them can play all three different roles. No, for sure. I mean, it gives us so many options. And I, I remember Dave Hendrick and uh, um, Gags discussing just all the various sort of um, formations we can we can now play with the players that we have, which is which is great. I mean, it, yeah, it, I heard it, that on the old school pod. It, it's he was talking sense. It's but that's what you want. The op- keeps the opposition guessing and see the game out. If the way the game's going, you could drop to a two and a one. You could drop to a flat three. You could do a one and a two. That's what you want, the options to be able to change in-game and out-of-game. And that's what we've got now, which we haven't had before. I think Kate is the main reason we can do that. And for me, I think Kate will be the midfielder that plays the most. But then the other two roles alongside him seem to be up for grabs, depending on the opposition, the occasion, fitness, suspension, etc. No, I think it's going to be interesting. I think... I think Keita and Fabina actually have both been brought in with a line to sort of, you know, you guys, if you play the way you should, um, are going to be starting the majority of games for us this season. But then, as you mentioned, we've got a bunch of options there who are full of energy um, and endeavour who can come in to, to fight for that, that final position. But also in other games where, where we need to change things up, you know, we can move things around. Let's not forget, despite all their shortcomings, it, it is a midfield that managed to go to a Champions League final. So I, Absolutely. I, I certainly think we shouldn't sort of um, disparage people too greatly. But of course, it's great to have better options there now, of course. And I think it's going to be uh, great to see how they perform this season for us. So an- another new option as well, uh, and another debut at Anfield was uh, that of Alisson. Hasn't actually had to do too much in the way of you know traditional goalkeeping yet, I guess, for us in terms of he hasn't had too many saves to make. Um, what we've seen more from him is just how how highly he rates himself as a footballer. He, he is yeah, He's very much part of this football team. And he, he can play with his feet. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, though, was you know new goalkeepers, whenever they're coming into this league, we've seen before De Gea, uh, others, Carrius as well, in terms of how he was uh, sort of treated by some, some aspects of the media when he first arrived in the country as well. They're heavily scrutinised young goalkeepers coming into um, you know, coming into a league like this. You know, people often like to say, oh, can they handle the physicality, etc. Palace, you know, historically a, a very direct team. You think of Benteke, you think of Zaha. Think of the players that they do have in their team, um, likely to be giving Allison a different sort of challenge uh, on Monday from what he's had so far for us. Um, how do you think he's going to cope with it? I mean, he looks incredibly confident so far. I mean, do you think he's going to have any issues with it? I don't think he will. I think the key word there was confident. He looks so confident. And a lot of people do refer to De Gea and how he struggled when he first came. He was a lot younger than Allison when Allison came. I think playing in the World Cup as well, he uses confidence and you can almost see straight away that Van Dijk and Gomez have the confidence in him as well. They seem to know when he was coming for crosses, when he was coming for corners. The passing between the three of them was, was almost as crisp as the passing between the midfield three. They seem to know which way to split to give him the options to pass to. They were comfortable passing it back to him. Again, he seemed like he'd been there for months the way he, 
he settled the way he was, and I know it was West Ham and they offered very little going forward really and he didn't have a lot to do. But what he did do, he did well. He kept control of his box. His passing was as good as you can expect it to be. So I don't think he will struggle, to be honest. I think he'll, he has the confidence to back himself and the defence have the confidence in him. And I think that'll be a massive help. You could almost sense that they didn't with Carrius and with Mignolet, that they, they were a bit unsure of their performances. But with Alisson, he seems to give the defence the confidence as well, to me, looking in. No, it seems similar to Van Dijk. I mean, there does seem to be, even in these early, early, early days, um, you know, an assurance um, about the players around him in terms of you know, what they can expect from him. So, I mean, it's it's going to be good, though. I think it's going to be actually finally good for us to see a game where um, you know, actual goalkeeping has to happen. You know, in terms of you know, there's the saves to be made, the crosses to be claimed. There's likely to be some moments where they're very, very direct. Uh, you know, Benteke, you know, despite what we what we might think about him, and you know, had a very poor season last year for Palace, um, can be a threat, can be difficult to deal with on a day. So it's going to be interesting to see how Alisson uh, copes with all that. So uh, moving on to to sort of you know, the game itself. Then I mean, Palace. Palace away has been, it did become a fixture at one stage that Liverpool fans seem to dread you know, following that 13-14 season with the capitulation there uh, where we, we were seemingly going to try and uh, sort of clear up that goal difference, let's face it, um, and yeah. didn't, didn't quite manage it in the end and, and, and things capitulated. The Reds, though, I mean, in their last three uh, games there, um, we've had three consecutive wins there at, at Salah's part now. So do you think that's the hoodoo over then or, or should we still be cautious um, you know, given you know, this is a Palace side that do seem a little bit resurgent now uh, under Roy. Just going back to that 13-14 game, I actually had a bet on Joe Allen to score first there as well. So to start uh, the game, I was, <laughs> I was delighted. I wish, wish they'd have called it off there and then. Uh, I wish I we all had that. I wish we all had that. <laughs> yeah, it's they're a strange team, aren't they? I mean, you, you look at the game last year, we, we did get the 2-1 win. It was, it was the Saturday lunchtime, wasn't it, before the first City game in the Champions League. So I think we started a bit sloppy. They had a penalty, didn't they? And even though we won the game, I think Benteke missed three really, really good chances, two within the space of two minutes, if I can can remember right. So on another day, they go in. He, he is capable of it, isn't he? Let's not forget his Villa days before we wasted 30-odd million on him. He, he was capable of putting the ball in the back of the net and... As Jesse said earlier, his first season he scored 17 goals, which for a team like Palace, that's a good return for the amount of chances they create. I mean, was it the year before? Was it the 4-2 where Firmino did the little loft over goal and took his top off? I mean, that was the one before, yeah. wasn't it? So we have done well there the last couple of years. As you said, it's, it is going to be a tough game. Zaha makes a big difference to them. You could see that last year. It, it'll certainly have to be watched, but I'm glad it's the second game, not the first game. So Trent's had the first game back under his wings because he was a little bit rusty last week. He still he still played well, but for the high standards he set himself, he was a bit rusty. So he'll have to be more more on the ball to deal with Zaha. And you just hope that Ben Saki has another day like he did last year, and he's off it. And if he if he gets chances, hopefully he doesn't. He's he's way off target again and and missing them. It's not going to be an easy game. By any stretch, it won't be as easy as last week's was. But I think if they do play the same team that they played last week and having the two in midfield 
against our three, whatever three we choose, we should have enough quality there to get to get the ball to the front three, and then they've got enough in them to damage them. But it'd be a tough game, I think. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting challenge as well, I think, for Joe Gomez as well, of course. I mean, he's going to be starting again, it, it, it seems, um, and thought he did thought he did well against West Ham. Didn't have you know, huge amounts to do, but of course, Arnautovic is, is a tricky customer, and, and he's one who doesn't really, uh, he sort of completely refuses to give up, even when the game is gone, he's still going to give you a battle, physical battle there, and I thought Gomez handled very well with that. Of course, different sort of type of battle with with Benteke, and of course, if Zahar drifts, if he drifts over to try and deal with him, it's going to be, you know, it's difficult. I think Zahar, as I mentioned earlier on, he's capable of uh, you know, embarrassing anybody really, so it, it, it does need to be caution. Um, but it should be quite an interesting test of this new, um, say, say new defence. Of course, uh, you know, plenty of, the, of those parts are we, we saw last season. But Allison in there now, Van Dyke after a full preseason. The, the one thing I would say is they all look incredibly focused. Van Dyke looks incredibly focused to. Um, you know, re- restore that sort of pride in defending that we've sort of lacked in in recent years. You know, actually having defenders who seem to relish it up when they get a clean sheet. You know, give each other high fives. You know, be be happy with it. You know, that's that's as good as scoring a goal for them. So I think that's going to be interesting to see if we can see that continue. What type of yeah, game? Yeah, it was interested. At the, yeah, sorry, just uh, it was interested at the end of the West Ham game to, to sort of see. Van Dijk, Gomez and Allison come together and have our own little midi midi huddle and celebrate the clean sheet like it's like a striker would set the front three are celebrating scoring those three to celebrate the clean sheet. I think but I've read in there, I think it was in the Echo, Van Dijk's come out and, and bigged up Gomez almost like he knows Lovren's out now for these three, four weeks. So I think Gomez is gonna get the first four games until the international break. It was interesting. So Van Dyke's the leader on the back, isn't he? Let's be honest. But to see him giving in- words of encouragement to Gomez and bigging him up, and this is who I want to play with. I'm happy to play alongside him. He played well, and it's it's just good to see, isn't it? That there's a fluidity there. There there's a one team mentality, and they're all in it together. But the Benteke argument, a good one. It'll be a very different challenge to an out of it was, and I think that's probably why we were both sort of alluding to maybe. Fabino starting and having that more defensive DM spe- specialist. Sorry, that's the word I was looking for. Specialist DM in front of them just to give them that extra protection to help win the headers or even to pick up the second balls. That maybe yeah, we'll let Benteke win the header against Gomez, but then Fabino will be there to pick up the loose ball rather than a Tanzan or a Zaha running onto it. Yeah, I'm sure that there's been plenty of tape being watched at. Uh... At Melwood this week, it's just the general patterns of play that Palace seem to go through, and um, I'm sure there's also been sort of drills on you know, not not letting people get isolated one v one against the likes of Zahar. I mean, with Townsend, you sort of know exactly what he's going to do because I mean, he, yeah, he only really does one thing. Um, but <laughs> um, occasionally, I mean, he, he's blatantly going to sort of smash one top corner on his right foot now, isn't he? But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, Jim uh, Stat, man. yeah, I mean, generally, he does seem to be just a. Yeah, it's a um, Tesco version of Iron Robin, isn't it, really, in terms of, sort of cutting yeah. on, on, on his left foot. But, yeah, I mean, there, there are threats there to be managed. Um, all right, then, so j- just before we come to predictions then, Mark, I mean, what do you, what team would you expect to line up then? I mean, w- would you expect just that, that one change that we have been talking about, perhaps with Fabino coming in, or um, would you be tempted to change anything else for, for this game? I think that would be it. I mean, thinking... 
I think if you asked anybody now, there's there's probably eight names that we all agree on. That'll be Allison, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Van Dyke, Robertson, Naby, and the front three. I don't think anybody is changing any of those. The three positions that seemingly up for grabs is Van Dyke's partner and the other two to go in midfield with Keita. At the moment, Gomez has got the shirt, so I would definitely keep with him, keep the Van Dyke-Gomez partnership up, see what they can do together. And yeah, I would say for this game, playing it on a game-by-game basis with the threat the Palace which will pose to us, I would bring Fabino in for Milner and then have Naby, Fabino and Ginny as the midfield three for this game. No, I think it Yourself, makes sense. what would you do? I think it makes sense, yeah. I think I think I think Klopp has probably settled on 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 the team that you'd like to start the season off and, and and by that I mean sort of the first block of games. I think that's sort of how managers like to do it, especially with the international break. Um as well on the horizon, you know, not too far away for them. I mean they're always gonna look at these games in blocks. I, I think he actually he actually would would have wanted to start it uh with Fabino. Um you know had it not been for that injury, even despite how impressive I think Milner's been in pre-season as well. So um, it's going to be interesting. I think we've got options there. I think this would be a good litmus test, though, for Fabinho, as I mentioned. So I, I, I'd expect him, if he is fully fit and he's, he's, sh- he's shaken off those uh, uh, sort of feelings of illness that he had last week, I mean, I, I'd expect him to start, as you mentioned as well. I think he comes in, he adds that height um, that could be quite useful on the day as well. I don't think there's going to be any rogue shouts like Marco Gurich or anything like that coming into the team out of nowhere. It's going to be another chance for us to see Naby in a different type of game as well. I mean, it's going to be a pretty aggressive game, I can imagine, in terms of people snapping into tackles. So I'm sure Naby's going to relish that as well. Just hope he, do, he keeps it together and doesn't uh, doesn't get any of, those, any of those cards early in the season or anything like that. But um, And you would hope that for a sort of, in a dream scenario, you're comfortable 2-3-0 up on on 70, and you can get Henderson 20 more minutes in his legs because he hasn't really had a full pre-season or hasn't had any pre-season because of the World Cup. So that's in an ideal scenario, you've got that. And it hasten to say, even get Lalana some minutes, people like that that need minutes in their legs, that's what you want in a dream, in a dream scenario. 3-0 up after 70, so Henderson can come on. That's not a bad position to be in, is it? No, not at all. I mean, so... I mean, actually, you, you, you've set yourself up perfectly there for the final segue then, Mark, in terms of that's the dream scenario. 60, 70 minutes in, 3 nil up, <laughs> can bring on players who just you know, need the minutes in their legs. Um, I mean, I think Shakiri's definitely going to be making an appearance here again, of course, as well. Um, maybe we'll see, we'll see some more Sturridge as well. It's tempting to see them as, of, as often as possible after how they performed in pre-season. But um, that's the ideal scenario. What's the scoreline that you're going to predict? You heard Jesse earlier on saying I think Roy's probably going to bed dreaming of that 1-1 already. Um, what would you uh, expect from this game? I'm going to go 2-0. I won't be as generous as the 3-0 dreams. You know, I think we'll, we'll, we'll win 2-0. I think Mane seems to be on fire again at the moment. He's, he's got a good record against Crystal Palace. So I think Mane to get one and then Salah to wrap it up. 2-0 win. 2 0 win and another clean sheet. Very interesting. Okay. I mean, I'm going to go. Uh, I mean, I, I think early in the season, I, I need to be going bold here. So I'm going to go 3 0. Um, and it uh, being like a resounding performance that just finally kills this uh, Palace hoodoo uh, you know, altogether. So that almost guarantees that it's going to be <laughs> just some sort of opposite thing happening in the game. I'm sure there's going to be some interesting battles on the day as well. But um, anyway, Mark, thanks so much for helping me sort of. You know, giving me your thoughts on 
um, the, the start of the season for the Reds. I mean, it, it's an incredibly exciting one for uh, for us all to follow. I mean, just just before we do go, I mean, what what are your sort of expectations and hopes for the season? Hope is to is to win the league. Expectation, it's hard, isn't it? You look at today, City losing De Bruyne out of nowhere. Something like that can can make or break a season almost. And you alluded to it that they have got. David Silva didn't play last week. De Bruyne didn't start last week. Sane didn't start last week. But De Bruyne was neck and neck with Salah for Player of the Year all year last year. They are still going to notice a player like that missing for that long. One or two games you can probably get away with. So if, if we're lucky with injuries and we can keep the key boys fit all season, hope to win the league. Expect, if I'm perfectly honest, probably second to Man City, unfortunately. But a bit of luck of injuries, the odd referee decision here and there going in our favour, and there's no reason why we can't win it. Yeah, I think at this stage of the season, we're going to be sticking with hope, I think, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's, yes. it's still way too early to, to 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 get to those sort of realistic expectations, although I know exactly what you mean. But as as we talked about earlier on, you know, a random injury like this to Kevin De Bruyne, who knows what impact it's going to have despite sort of the easy fixtures they have. I mean, it could throw off things. Who, who knows? So it's going to be interesting. I think lots of players coming back from the World Cup as well who've just been thrown straight back into the action, much to the amusement of Cy Brundish, it seems. So I mean, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see whether... Yeah, plenty of sides do pick up injuries um, as we go along. Liverpool seem to be pre- fairly well, um, you know, have planned fairly well for that with the players who are who are starting most of our games. So get get through the first four games, and then I wouldn't be surprised if a few of ours had little tweaks and niggles at Melwood before the international break, just just to keep them keep them home and keep Klopp working with them. Yeah, no, for sure. I think I mean there's going to be plenty of planning. I mean, we saw the way the rotation went out last season, so. I mean, we don't have to think about that just yet because it's, it's so early no. in the season. But uh, anyway, Mark, I want to thank you so much for coming on, helping us preview uh, things. Uh, even this early in the season, it's, it, it's good to get back into the swing of things. Uh, Palace away, always an interesting test. And uh, uh, to the listener, thank you so much for listening again. We're back on the journey. Um, you know, 4-0 win to kick things off against West Ham. Uh, this new-look Liverpool side that's got us all excited uh, makes their way to Selhurst Park on Monday evening to take on Crystal Palace. And of course, Roy Hodgson again. Um, yeah, hopefully, we're going to be talking about this next week as a, yeah, another positive win. Who knows how big it will be on our way to glory? As Mark said, there the hope yeah, of winning this uh, winning this elusive title. So, thanks so much for listening, guys, and we'll, we'll be back uh, next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.